Welcome to the Suicide Prevention and Awareness Podcast, part of CBP's Shine a Light Suicide Prevention Program. Today, we are talking with Kimbra, an import specialist, and Dr. Kent Corso, clinical psychologist specializing in suicide prevention. In this episode, import specialist Kimbra discusses her experience with substance misuse and suicidal ideation. Hi, and welcome to our monthly podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today and to our guests for being with us. Just a few caveats before we get going. I am a clinical psychologist, so I am a doctor, but I'm not the doctor for our guest. This isn't therapy or counseling, nor is anything we talk about today going to involve or constitute medical advice. This is just a conversation. Another disclaimer is that suicide is a difficult topic to talk about. It's not one that we can discuss vaguely or indirectly if we hope to make a difference. So, for our listeners out there, we are going to have a frank conversation today. If by any chance you have lived experience or you are triggered, if anything we discuss is upsetting or distressing to you, please reach out for help. Reach out to those who care for you and love you, and reach out to those who you love. If you're a CBP employee or family member and you need help, you can always contact a peer support member, chaplain, or veteran support member. Or you can reach out to our employee assistance program. If you are not a CBP employee, you can always call 1-800-273-8255, which is the National Suicide Lifeline. This month, our Suicide Prevention Podcast is focused on the topic of alcohol use or misuse. Since it is the holiday season and the new year is approaching, that's the time of year that oftentimes people decide to do something around self-improvement, to make a New Year's resolution, or to otherwise change some of their habits. Certainly using alcohol is one of those habits people sometimes desire to change. Today, we're talking to Kimbra, and she has experience with alcohol use and misuse. Kimbra, thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's good to be here. Why don't we begin, Kimbra, since this is a suicide prevention podcast and there is a clear link between substance abuse or alcohol abuse and suicide, why don't you tell us a little bit about your lived experience with alcohol use and suicide? Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning when we were going to get together about what can I share that might be useful to others. And I can say that my alcohol use, my use with substances started at a young age. And, you know, I was brought up in an alcoholic family. There was physical abuse in my family and a lot of trauma suffered at a young age. And I watched adults in my family use substances to handle stress and to deal with their feelings. And it's not a surprise that I ended up doing the same behavior and starting that at a really young age. Kimber, this was all before you worked for CBP, correct? It was. It was. Okay. Which makes it um, easier for me to talk about, I think. I'm not concerned about how it might impact my job to let people know that I did have a problem with alcohol and, and that I did something about it and have now been in recovery for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you said, or when we spoke earlier, you said that it started at a young age because you were in a lot of pain. Yes. 
suffering some traumas, both, like I said, some physical abuse in childhood and then also traumas in early adolescence as a result of my drinking. You know, I found myself in situations with people that were not looking out for my best interest. Those traumatic experiences were more than I had the capacity to deal with, and I used substances to push down those bad feelings. I think that's a really common thing for most of us that have issues with addiction is that we don't like how we feel, and we use those substances to push down those bad feelings. Absolutely. That's Some people use the word numbing. It sort of numbs them to their feelings so they don't have to experience them. Other people will say that it's an escape. It's sort of like keeps your brain occupied on on that euphoric feeling when you're when you're drinking alcohol or or allows you to just sort of be distracted but right. it is yeah but it's so common as you said that it's it's what people do when they have negative feelings or have had negative experiences it's just one way to cope obviously not 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 the most helpful way right right it 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 starts out your medicine to treat this problem that you have and it turns you know, what ends up happening, at least for those that are addicted, is it that medicine turns on you and stops working and starts creating all kinds of other problems. So, and I, you know, when you're in the grips of that, one of the main things that, that I felt and that others that I am, that I know in recovery felt and, and it's, it's painful is, is shame. We feel ashamed of what we're doing and of who we are and the behavior that goes along with it. Yet it's a cycle that's hard to find your way out of on your own, at least for me, impossible to find my way out of on my own. And there's this sense of it's a loss of hope where you don't believe that your life is going to get better. Mm -hmm. Tell us where, tell, tell our listeners where the hope and the shame I'm sorry, the loss of hope and the shame come into play. Is, as you start drinking too much, is there immediately loss of hope and shame? Where do they enter the cycle? Well, for me, it, it went with the behavior, you know, there, and, and when others observe a person in the throes of addiction, there's a lot of judgment about the behavior that, that you see. And that behavior, when you're in it and you're doing things that you, that, that don't line up with your values. You're doing things that, that make you feel bad about yourself. They're things that are disrespectful of yourself and others. You know, you can try to use the substance to push down those bad feelings, but it's this vicious cycle of behavior that's not becoming, and yet you can't seem to stop yourself. And for me, that self-hatred that developed in that cycle led straight to feelings of wanting to take my own life and at a very young age. And for me, a part of my story is that that daily thought of ending my life because it was so bad from my behavior, from from this cycle I couldn't find my way out of, there was something about that that I knew that was wrong. I knew it wasn't normal for a 21-year-old to want to kill themselves and to think about that every day. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like if I'm hearing you right, Kimbra, you started drinking more and more because you felt worse and worse about 
yourself about experiences you were having in life. And it was just your way of, of coping with it, of avoiding having to deal with it. But over time, the more you were drinking, the more you engaged in other behaviors or activities or were in situations that made you feel bad about yourself. That's right. That you felt ashamed of. And pretty soon it sort of got to this downward spiral where it felt worse and worse and worse. And the alcohol wasn't even helping anymore. That's just uh, what it sounds like. And, and in fact, the whole reason you started to drink was to try to make it feel better, to avoid feeling bad. But then it became worse and so bad that you were hating yourself and thinking of killing yourself. That's absolutely it. Yeah. That, so self-hatred is one common theme among people who are thinking about ending their lives, thinking about killing themselves. Another related concept is sort of losing one's identity. Yes. And not not being driven by one's own values and priorities and reasons for getting up in the morning, but sort of feeling like, why should I bother getting up in the morning? What do I have to live for? Is that something that you experienced, Kimber? That is absolutely what I experienced. And I that I'm not sure at my young age if I ever really had that sense of purpose or sense of meaning in my life. Instead, you know, at a very young age, I started on this path that took me to a really dark place. So for me, the coming out of that, the recovery obviously started with abstinence from the substance that was helping to create these horrible feelings. But another big part of it was coming to terms with who am I and who do I really want to be out here in the world and what really does matter to me. and. How do I want to behave? How do I want to show up for people sure. in my life and for myself? Sure. There's that, there's that idea that we can all, on a regular basis, reflect on who were we years ago, who are we today, and who do we want to be tomorrow? And there's something about drawing a connection between all of those things and trying to understand that trajectory or that progression, right? Yes, yes. Another big part for me, and I, I've heard this said, that that sobriety is not the opposite of addiction. But what the opposite of addiction is, is connection. And I think that that is true for me. I, I had a loss and a lack of connection in my life. I didn't have good people in my life. And I, my recovery is all about connection. You know, I've drawn those amazing people into my life. And, and that is how I found my way off of that, that downward spiral was by reaching out to others, having other people in my life who could link me up to a recovery world and learn some spiritual principles and some ways of coping that were healthy. Also, for me, I got some professional help to deal with some of that trauma from the childhood's experiences and began to finally deal with the things that were bothering me, that I used those substances to push down. It makes sense that if you grew up with a lot of hardship, and I'm sure some of our listeners can relate, 
whether they came from abusive families or abusive environments, traumatic environments, whether they came from families where, where the adults also used alcohol. In any of those cases, it makes sense that you felt a lack of connectedness to people. And yeah. then just using alcohol further disconnects you because it numbs our feelings. It's sort of an alternate reality. It's a different experience of day-to-day events and people. It's so wonderful to hear that you are now connecting with people in a way that you probably didn't think was possible, but it is probably also more rewarding than it's ever been. Definitely. Definitely. And that that makes me think about the connections that I've made with people in our agency that are finding their way into recovery, too. You know, that's been a really... Uh, interesting part of this journey for me being out about my recovery at CBP because since and because I've done that, people in the agency who have sought help for addiction have found their way into my life. And uh, we've created this little, little network of support. And I will say I've, I've been shocked and, and so grateful to see the leadership that we have in our agency in some locations where leaders have really shown that they care about employees and actually facilitated and helped them find their way to treatment. And I've seen lives changed and wow. And people become, you know, the the a better version of themselves as a direct mm-hmm. result of that caring and connection that was made with leadership. And I know a lot of people are afraid that if they get help and they work for CBP, that they'll lose their job. My experience has been if they don't get help, they're more likely to lose their job. Because eventually, if addiction is your deal, if if it's impacting your life the way it did mine, it will rob you of everything that you have that matters to you and stop at nothing. So, so sort of like you experienced, if even though it doesn't start as heavy necessarily, for some it does, some people will binge drink or, or really hit, hit the liquor very hard, but it's this progressive thing that gets worse and worse and worse and then makes life worse and worse and worse. So what I hear you saying is that people, and, and this does match the statistics we know, it's that the longer you wait to seek help, the higher likelihood you're going to have a negative career impact because your life spins more and more out of control and it's harder to then fix and the more damage is done. So it's harder to repair. And chances are, even though you believe you're, you're operating well or functioning well or performing well at work, the chances are your leadership, your supervisors or your peers see that you're not. And so it's only a matter of time before that bites you. Is that your experience with others? Yes. And and the truth is, usually by the time it shows up at work, it's really bad because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're masters at hiding it from people. The people who know who are who are experiencing and watching the suffering day in and day out, those are our family members. So they've maybe known for a long time before it actually starts to show up at work. Right. And tell us just for the the listeners out there, maybe. Addiction is something that takes many different faces. So it's not that it's obvious to someone when they start to drink too much. 
sometimes people just like alcohol just in the same way they like ice cream or they like soda or they like chips or whatever. So it's, it's not, you know, we think of it like, oh, he's an addict or she's an addict, but that's not really a helpful way to think about it with labels. In fact, what I have found is most helpful is to think about it like a habit, just, just in the same way we have any other habit, snacking late at night, having a nightcap, right? Smoking, watching too much TV, right? You name it. We all have bad habits. And if we think about alcohol as a habit, sometimes it's easier for us to monitor it and manage it because there's no stigma attached to it. Right, right. So if if we have, maybe there are listeners uh, on the podcast who are thinking, well, maybe I could cut back or maybe there'd be benefit to me cutting back. Why did you bother seeking recovery? What's the benefit to staying abstinent? For me personally, I I was not successful at moderation. I attempted. One of the things with addiction that happens is is we get into denial and we even when people are telling us our behavior is this or it's that or it's causing problems, we deny it and we blame others. So for those that may notice that that they are drinking more than they they want to, maybe they're starting to see it cause some problems in their relationships. Moderation is an absolutely, it, it's a functional thing that everyone I know who's addicted has tried. And, and if you can moderate the behavior, that's a very good sign that maybe you haven't crossed that line uh, into the world of addiction. So certainly, yes, limiting how much you drink, maybe limiting how often you drink and being successful at that is certainly good motivation. I know the example I use is with my son. I, my son is currently attempting to moderate his drinking because it's starting to show problems in his relationship and in the way that he shows up for his family. And his family members have noticed a big difference in his behavior and the way he shows up with family functions when he does moderate his drinking. Right. They they notice something positive. In other words, he's not as distant, or maybe he's not as I don't know flippant. What what's what's the quality like in in terms of difference? He is more relaxed. He's more engaged. He is more patient and tolerant. He is less likely to anger or become mm-hmm. frustrated easily. And those are significant things when you're when you're a new dad and you have uh, little babies and. A lot of stress around a brand new family, and absolutely, yeah. Those are those are tough enough if you're not battling alcohol or struggling with your alcohol use. Being a new father, having young kids, getting very little sleep, the stress on the relationship between the the partners, it's difficult. So, I, I my hat goes off to him for also trying to tackle the alcohol use. And it sounds like Kimbra. He's tackling it in order to be a better father, in order to be a better husband. Yes. Yep. So it, it, it goes back to something you said earlier, which is about your values. A good reason to take a look at your your drinking behavior is, is not necessarily because it's causing you problems. There are plenty of people who they're, they're drinking too much or, or they're on the cusp and it's not yet causing problems, but does it detract from 
the things you value, your priorities, the things that you want to be or, or who you want to be in the future, right? Yes, yes. And, and you know, that, that leads me to something that's very important for, for those, for all of us as human beings, right? We, we need consequences. We need accountability. One of the things that's really effective for my son is he, he cares. He cares what his wife thinks about his behavior. He wants to be a good father. And when she was honest with him and told him what she noticed about his behavior when he had been drinking, he, he listened and that right. matters to him. Right. And that's, that's, that's such a great point, Kimber, because there may be some people listening to this podcast who are not the people who are using too much, but maybe it's their loved one who is, who's using too much or is on the cusp of drinking too much. And they're thinking, well, maybe I should say something. Maybe I shouldn't. And what I hear you saying is that when people, when spouses, when loved ones just go along with it, even if they're friends, if you just go along with your friend who's drinking too much without saying anything, it's not helping. In fact, it can speed up the process of getting help and, and increase the accountability by someone saying something as simple as, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about your drinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's the, the old adage that you can't help someone before they're ready to help themselves. I totally disagree with that. I do believe that if you lovingly approach someone and you really do care about them when you bring it up to them, they are far more likely to hear you and to listen. I know my son listens to everything I say. He may not immediately respond or react as if he cares what I have to say, but he listens. <laughs> and especially if I approach it from a loving place. And, right. and I think, you know, I, I think that is true in our agency too. When peer support and chaplains or supervisors or managers reach out to employees and approach them from that genuine concern and say, I've observed this change in you and I'm very concerned that something's going on in your life and that you might need some help. And I really want to be there to help you. That That's effective. That really works. It, it diffuses the kind of defensiveness or blaming or reactiveness yes. that you mentioned before, which let, let's be honest, people get defensive because they're dealing with the difficult situation in the only way they know how. If they knew a healthier way, they'd be doing it, right? And so, and so it makes so much sense to, to sidestep, to, to avoid triggering any of that defensiveness by just saying, I'm concerned about you. I noticed that you you show up for work really kind of in a fog, not really as sharp as as you've been in the past. I'm concerned that you've got something going on in your life that that you're having trouble tackling. That makes so much sense. And, and we have research that goes back to the 1980s that that supports your point. And that is, you can still help people who are not ready by helping them become ready to get help. And that happens through love and concern. That's right. You're helping them with that awareness factor, right? They may not be aware. They may not want to look at it, but you're helping bring that awareness for them. And, and at the end of the day, what the process of recovery seems to involve, and you can, you can check me on this because you're living it, is that we've turned to alcohol 
to cope with things that are difficult. And part of the process of recovery is learning alternative, healthier ways to cope with difficult life situations, stressors, you name it, negative memories, negative experiences, just negative feelings, but finding healthier ways to cope so that the alcohol isn't our primary coping strategy. That's it. And really, recovery is about hope. It's about it's about waking up and being able to look in the mirror and not be ashamed of who you are and of the things you've done, you know, to be able to look back at the past and, and look it squarely in the eye and say, that's who I was then and this is who I am today and this is how I want to show up, a better version of myself. And, and it's all about having hope for the future, something that when you're in the throes of addiction, you lose, you lose sight of. Well, that's that's a perfect way to end this podcast as we continue to go through the holidays and look toward a new year, uh, new beginnings. We all have hopes and, and uh, wishes for what will be in the new year. And maybe those hopes are around what you just said is, who am I? Who will I be? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up for my job, for my family, or even for myself? Am I the person I want to be? Those are great thoughts, great seeds to plant for our listeners as we enter the new year. So thank you so much, Kimbra, for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. This is part of our ongoing podcast series for suicide prevention and awareness. If you see someone struggling, say something. Asking them about suicidal thoughts may feel awkward, but you can help reduce suicide risk at home and in the workplace by tolerating that awkwardness. Simply ask, how can I help? And then just listen to the person. Make sure you ask them if they're thinking of ending their life. It really does make a difference. Thank you again to our guests. I really appreciate you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll speak to you again on our next episode.